Well, let me just begin by saying good morning again. I want to say welcome to those of you who are here in this room in our contemporary service. Some of you are joining us right now in our traditional sanctuary or online or on TV, and I'm really grateful that you're here. I'm glad we have this opportunity to learn and grow together. And I want to say another word of welcome to this guy standing next to me right here. Some of you are wondering, who is that? This is my friend, Pastor Eric Bloom. He's a Lutheran pastor. Some of you know that our associate pastor, Pastor Angie, is on sabbatical right now. And as we were preparing in advance for that time, we realized that's a great opportunity to have some other voices in our teaching, some guest speakers. And the first person that Angie recommended was Pastor Eric Bloom, and I readily agreed. Uh, he is a friend of both of ours and someone who I'm really eager for us to be able to learn from today. We've been in this journey together since Christmas time called Restored, and we're learning about the way that God restores our lives in community with one another, in relationship with God, to all the things that God made us to be. And that work of restoration we've been learning depends on the work of God's Holy Spirit in us, doing his work of new creation and healing and recreation in us. And today is the day of Pentecost. We're gonna be learning about the story of God's outpouring of his Holy Spirit. Eric is here today and is gonna teach us about that. So I want to begin by praying for him and for all of us and then uh, let you take it away. Please do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the gift of this day. Thanks for Eric, for his friendship and partnership and ministry. And I pray that you would indeed send your Holy Spirit, stir up your spirit in us today. And Eric, as he shares with us and us as we learn, we pray that you would do the work of your spirit in us and form Christ in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, good morning. Today I want to talk about the coming of the Holy Spirit uh, and about the location and the direction and the application of that in our lives. First, let's talk about uh, location. Let's talk about place. Our primary reading from Scripture today occurs at a time, at a moment, where it was unsettling to ask, where is God? Of course, God is always everywhere, and there's no place that you can go where he is absent to get away from him. But in the Bible, the Israelites had experienced his special presence. Individuals had, as had the nation of Israel. But in the New Testament, there comes a point where it becomes a confusing question. The scripture says that when Jesus died on the cross at that moment, something happened back over at the temple. The curtain that separated the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, where every good Israelite would identify as God's special address on earth, that curtain was torn in two. Well, what did this mean? It meant that the place, that particular place, was no longer the specific dwelling place of God on earth. Before that moment, you could have asked, where is God? And from the time of the tabernacle built by Moses in the wilderness, you could say the special presence of God was there. You could see it at times. In a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night, there it was. Sometimes you could see it there between the cherubim above the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. Fast forward, when Solomon built the first temple on the day of dedication, the presence of God, his Shekinah glory, it filled the place to such an extent that the priests couldn't carry out their duties. Fast forward again, later, Ezekiel saw it. He saw it prophetically leave Jerusalem, leave the temple, and go off. He saw it go off towards Babylon that he would be with his people in exile. And then prophetically he saw it coming back, that again the Holy Spirit would come and indwell 
the place in Jerusalem with his people, that God would be with his people. So the Holy of Holies was this most holy place. And there wasn't a lot of fellowship there between God and human beings. The, whole, the high priest went in there once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Uh, it was a special and holy thing to be in the presence of God on earth. But then the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and she becomes pregnant by the Holy Spirit. The divine entered her womb. So from the time Jesus was born in Bethlehem until that moment that he died on the cross, the incarnate presence of God on earth was there in Jesus. So if you were an astute disciple during Jesus' lifetime, you would have answered the question, where is God, by talking both about the Holy of Holies in the temple, the presence of God there, and about Jesus as a person. But when Jesus died on the cross, the curtain that separated that most holy place where the presence of God on earth dwelt from everywhere else, the separating curtain was torn asunder. We would say in contemporary language, God had left the building. And Jesus was dead. He had given up his spirit. And of course, he rose again from the dead, but then he was about to leave the scene again. He left with these words out of Acts chapter 1. While staying with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but before many days, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he ascended away from his disciples and disappeared from their sight. Before we read today's primary text, we really cannot grasp it, get a hold of the significance of it without being mindful of the confusing and unsettling nature of the question at the moment the disciples lived it. Where is God? They were waiting. They were focused. They were fasting and praying and all together in one place. But as focused as they could be, it's hard to imagine that they were not blown away in their minds by the magnitude of the surprise of what happened. We read in Acts chapter 2. I scarcely think we can grasp it today. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly... A sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind and it filled the house where they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributed and resting on each one of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. A sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind. Linguistically, uh, Wind and breath and spirit are all the same word. And it was from heaven, unmistakably supernatural and from a very good place. And it was powerful, like a mighty wind. And everyone experienced it. It filled the whole place where they were sitting. In some, God showed up. He entered the place. And there was fire, like what was seen in days of his presence of old what was called the Shekinah glory in the Old Covenant. 
The presence of God had entered the room. It filled the room, and it did what no one had ever seen it do before. It broke up into little pieces and rested on each one of them. This is the biggest and most fundamental difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The place of the dwelling of God on earth. In the New Covenant, God indwells his people. In the Old Covenant, the Spirit rested upon, anointed, uh, came upon particular people for particular tasks at particular times. But in the New Covenant, God's Spirit indwells his people. 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, which you have from God. This is one of those truths that continue to humble us all our days because of the magnitude of it. God's address, can you own this? God's address is your address, and I don't mean just where you sleep or where you get your mail. You, you yourself, God's address on earth. How does that happen? How is he with us? Well, the Bible makes a distinction between our inner self and our outer self. You have an inner self, yourself. And in talking about it, the various translations use being and self and inner man and inner nature. Here's just a, a spattering of some verses. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost Self, Romans 7.22 in the Revised Standard Version. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, New International Version. Our inward man, your inner you, delights in God's law. Paul writes in Ephesians 3, to be strengthened with power by his spirit in the inner man, American Standard Version. I pray out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, New International Version. Paul also tells us, but if indeed our outer man is consumed, yet our inward man is renewed day by day, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Though our outer nature is wasting away, uh, Revised Standard says, our inner nature is being renewed every day. So first of all, when God comes to indwell us by his spirit, with his life and his power, he comes into our spirit at the time when we're born again, John 3, verse 6. And this, this regenerated spirit located at the center, we can say, of a believer's being is what we call the inward man or inner self or inner being or inner nature. It's your inner you. Secondly, outside the sphere, it's not really a sphere, but we call it a sphere, uh, it's not ge a geometric shape, but outside the sphere of this inward man indwelt by God, is our soul, its functions are our mind and our emotions and our will, our desire to do what we want to do. That's our soul. Thirdly, our outermost nature is our physical body, characterized by the physical senses of sight and sound and smell and taste and touch. So we're going to speak as the spirit, as the inward self, the soul as the outer self, and the body as the outermost nature. Now, on a side, just to be clear, the Greek uses man in a generic sense. 
So we're not talking gender here, ladies. This is not about you getting in touch with your masculine self or anything at all like that. That's why we can see in the different translations, they translate anthropos, which just means man, as inner being or nature or self. It's very clear that it has nothing to do with gender. So we can simply speak of the inward you, the outer you, and the outermost you and me. So here's a simple diagram. Spirit, soul, and body. And we must never forget that our inward man is the human spirit where God dwells. The place where the spirit of the Lord is joined to our spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.17 But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Just as we're dressed in our clothing, so our inward man, in a sense, wears our outer man. Our spirit wears our soul. And likewise, our soul wears our body. It's like we're in layers. But it's quite evident that people are generally more conscious of their outer self and their outermost self, and they hardly recognize or understand their true self, their inner self, their born-again self, their spirit. So that's location, direction. Now, one of the ways God referred to himself in the Old Testament um, was as living water. Here's a couple of verses from Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is prophesying to the people of Israel. He says, for my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can't hold water. Jeremiah 2.13, and then forward in chapter 17. For they've forsaken the Lord, who is the fountain of living water. Jesus picks up and uses that image when he's talking, actually very privately, individually, with the woman at the well. He says this, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. He uses that term publicly later at the feast. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, this was to everybody, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified, John 7. We can be hindered in our imagination, how we think about ourselves and our world by only imagining that God is out there somewhere. Listen to the significance of this for Paul as he writes about his own, uh, well, why he serves the church, why he's serving the church. He writes this, for I've become its servant, the church, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that's been kept hidden for ages and generations, but now is disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are united with Christ in your spirit. That is, that is the mystery of Christ in you. God is not just somewhere out there for a believer. If you've asked Jesus into your heart, the depth of of the reality of what then happens is really hard for us to get our heads, our imaginations around. He comes. 
He comes to dwell within. But because he's also there in other believers, and that's also true about them, and we experience God's grace flowing from others towards us in many forms, and that's also reality, we can fail to grasp how much he's actually in us. So here's just one example of where people's discernment of this can remain muddled uh, by the very good experience of receiving God's presence coming uh, from without, from other believers. So let's say we're coming up for prayer ministry and we have a need. Maybe we are sick and need healing or maybe we're fearful or anxious about something that's going on in our finances or at work or with our kids or our parents or in our family and we just need his comfort, his assurance, his peace. We can at time, experience what feels like just a washing of joy and of, of peace or warmth or some form of tingling or electricity in some part of our body. And if you're the one doing the prayer ministry, so you're praying with someone, it seems, and it seems that the Spirit of the Lord is especially present to heal, you can sometimes even sense it yourself. It may be a tingling in your hand as you're praying for someone or some other sensation of power. So in this example, both the one receiving prayer and the one uh, ministering may both sense something. Now, it doesn't need to happen that when you're coming for prayer you sense anything. I think most of the time you don't actually physically or noticeably sense anything and that by no means means nothing is happening. Not at all. We walk by faith and not by sight, not by just our physical senses. But at times it can be encouraging and strengthen our faith to actually sense something though our faith rests in the power of God and his word being true to that and not what our senses perceive. But such experiences, which are not uncommon, they do give us the physical impression that there is peace and joy and other good things that kind of come upon us from God, which is certainly true. And some of us have had God flow from us to others. Uh, I was at a healing conference for many years, uh, the, the Lutheran Conference on the Holy Spirit, and a friend of mine who had just gone from there, uh, he'd rent, gone right from that conference where he was doing a lot of ministry, uh, he went to a wedding because he just schedules you know, weddings, and, and it was for some either non-believers or nominal believers. Uh, it was one of those outdoor weddings where it was like, okay, everybody just you know, put down your beers and your cigarettes for a moment. We're going to do the wedding now. And, uh, and he held up his hands. He'd just come from this conference with a lot of healing going on, and he just held up his hands, and he's just going to read it. My friend, he just does weddings for money, quite frankly. And he's just going to read it, and he just puts up his hands, and the groom's his knees buckles and his eyes got really big. He's, what the heck was that? And it's like my friend kind of, you know, put his hands away. He looked, sorry, I forgot it was loaded. I mean, he thought to himself. And he just kind of continued and went on. We can have these experiences where God flows. And in meetings during ministry, I myself have noticed uh, if the Lord is dealing with someone, uh, uh, doing something in their life, sometimes I can sense it. And being kind of the geeky guy that I am, I kind of experiment. It's like, how close can I get before I sense it? Oh, about eight inches, about six inches. Because I can tell something's going on there. Not all the time, but sometimes we do. We get senses that something's going on. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's flowing out of me. But certainly, power went out from Jesus. And he knew it. He asked a question when the crowds were pressing on him. Who touched me? His disciples are going, seriously? You're in a crowd. But he could sense it. He was self-aware most of us are not that self-aware when, when power, when the Spirit is flowing out from us, Jesus was totally there. But here's the thing. For the believer, the primary flow of the Spirit is not from the outside in, though we can certainly receive His grace from others and in atmospheres of that, but it's from the inside 
out. This side of Pentecost, we are all temples of the Holy Spirit. All who, are, who have believed are united with Christ in their spirits. So yes, with non-believers, it's like, dude, what the heck was that? Because they're not yet born of the Spirit, not yet being indwelled, not yet baptized in the Spirit, not yet filled with the Spirit. So it is for them coming from the outside. And they may ask, well, what the heck? And as believers, we certainly may experience many new and wonderful things of God that are also so different from what we've experienced this half. We can say kind of what the heck, but for you actually as a believer, it's actually part of your new nature. Your inner nature that you just haven't walked in before. It's not strictly alien or from the outside. It wells up from Christ within you. That's why prayer ministers, for the most part, are more like midwives. They help the situation along, but they're separate from it. My spirit may sense something's kind of going on there in someone's spirit. I may even, even physically sense it at times. At other times, there may actually be a gift of healing flowing from one person to another. But here's the thing. When we think like that, that there's peace outside there for me. There's joy outside. I just need some because it's out there and I want some. We don't realize that there's nothing out there in that sense. Christ is already in here. You have everything in here. Christ in you. It's already been given. You already have joy. You already have peace. You are in Christ and he is in you. And he's the prince of peace. One of the fruits of the spirit. His persona is joy. You have joy. It's the very character of God and he's in you. So this can be a mental stumbling block in our imagination. Just like it can be easier to forgive someone else than it is to forgive ourselves, it can be way easier to believe that God's in them or God's out there or God's in the meeting or God's in the prayer minister than to really own that primarily he's in you. And the release into your soul comes from the inside of your spirit into the emptiness in that area in your soul. It's not coming from without. It's coming from within. So application. When Jesus said that streams of living water will well up from within, he was talking about the direction. The direction moving from the inside to the outside. I want to give a, an example of that in application. I take care of my earthly father who lives in the house next door to me. Thank you, Jesus, for the last few years. When it came up for rent and my, my neighbor Marie went into a nursing home, uh, we grabbed it and then later on had the chance to buy it and it's been a tremendous blessing to have him so close by, especially for what was coming. He just uh, turned 90 years old last month, yay. Uh, but a little over a year ago, the doctors basically pronounced a death sentence on him. He had gotten a staph infection that had colonized a heart valve, that, uh, a cow valve that he had had replaced a few years earlier. And he was too old and weak to probably survive another valve replacement. But the chances of the staph infection clearing, even with the best antibiotic cocktail that I could cook up, was actually very, very small. And I'm close to my father. And it felt like such a weight of grief to hear that diagnosis. Like a death sentence. Now, oftentimes... It's actually the situation, the environment that we're in that dictates who God is for us at that moment, what lesson we get to learn, what upgrade, what advantage there is that he wants to release from the inside that's already there, but we've just never experienced it before. So facing 
that pressure of grief and sorrow and knowing that one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is joy, it's his persona, it's who he is, I was very mindful in writing about it at the time and talking to my father about joy coming from within. The God within us is nevertheless joyful. Let's pray that we feel that, that we receive that to counter what's out. My dad, uh, he supervised engineers in the power company. I'm an NSP brat. So he was a troubleshooter of power plants. So for us to just gab in physical engineering style terms, that's just pretty common for us. So if you can imagine a balloon, if you've got an outside atmospheric pressure, pressure pushing in on it, the inside pressure has to equalize it. But the Holy Spirit actually gives us more than that. So I said, Dad, there's joy available. We need to tap into what God has for us in this season so that it counteracts this grief that we just feel so much because he has joy for us. And I remember the exact place I was sitting, where in the room, it was Monday, Thursday of 2015 last year. And I was in the hospital. He had undergone yet another test that he endured. He hated. And they came in with the results. And to everyone's shock and surprise, the infection had totally cleared. I was like, thank you, Jesus. And they left the room and shut the door. And my stoic German old dad, he started weeping. And I had the exact opposite. I did like the, this will date me, the, the Snoopy dance where Snoopy's ear goes up in the hair and he just kind of tapped. I was just like, I can't believe this. It was like, because the whole future is different right now. But here's the thing. Over the next hour, hour and a half, as, as the reality of the grief that we were planning on what was going to happen isn't going to happen right now, and that joy came, then it was like the interior pressure of, the, of that wonderful divine joy also kind of equalized. And I found myself saying, even though it was a, to myself a joke at the time, I just said, Holy Spirit, come back, as if he's out there. He's not out there. It was in here, and I knew it was a joke even when I was saying it, but you know, I was just so happy, and I was... Here's the thing, we talk like that. We think like that. Don't come back, Holy Spirit. He's not out there. He's in here. And every hardship, every difficult circumstance in our life is an opportunity for an advantage of learning more of who he is for us in that moment. But the flow is from the inside out. We as believers live in the direction from the inside out. So our inner man actually delights in hardships because with our outer self, our, our mindset and our emotions and all the stimuli coming from the outside is just breaking us and we feel weak and we've, we're at the end of ourselves. Christ in us is not at the end of himself. Finally, it's broken and you can say, now I see what I can do. He is waiting Think of the Sermon on the Mount. All the, the, the requirements of the law, Jesus said, you've heard it say, but I say unto you, and then he made it harder. He made all of them harder, and he almost did it with this giddiness. How could he do that? Because he's so confident in himself that he can do it, that he can live that life. How? In us, flowing out from us. Sufferings and hardships often though, are what it takes to break to the next level so that we experience what he has for us, the filling of the Spirit. An old camp song that I had, remembered when I was a kid, spring up a well within my soul. It speaks of that living water welling up from our spirit and flooding our soul. Spring up a well and make me whole from the inside out. So we live 
as Christians on this day of Pentecost. I want to pray for you for the filling of the Spirit. And most all of us, had I not preached like this, would have been praying and waiting for it to come in. But if you're, a believer, if you're not a believer, this may be a day for you to come to know Jesus and ask him into your heart and, and realize that it's coming from the outside and then indwell you. But for those of us who have asked Jesus into our heart, my prayer for filling is actually to fill those voids in your soul, your mindset, your will, your emotions, your physical body maybe, but from the inside out to release and fill because he's already there. You've already been given everything in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that by your grace, and it takes your grace to understand anything spiritual, Lord, this is like the Trinity. It's a hard one to get our heads around. Three is one, one is three, you are one. But you in us, you one with our spirit. Holy Spirit, by your grace, help us to get our hearts and our heads around that. And Lord, we ask again on this Pentecost Sunday, remembering what you did, come and fill us. Whatever we're facing from the outside, that's our lesson for the moment, Lord. Meet that in us by your abundance and your grace. Well up within us and draw our attention, our perspective to see it the way you see it. That we might own the fact that we are your temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.